our youth worker showed me the notes of one of them today, and it was uh, any other comments, and she wrote, why does Craig talk so, 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 so loud? Um, so she is excommunicated and won't be back in our church. But no, it is lovely to be here, even if it was last minute. As you can hear, I'm a little bit croaky. Um, from looking at Facebook, Mitch seems to be better, but I got um, the plague, uh, the, uh, a very virulent dose of man flu, which for you ladies here is 10 times worse than childbirth. Um, <laughs> you have no idea what man flu is like. Can I get an amen from the men? Yeah, but uh, no, it is, uh, and it's just an honor to be here. Um, I, I don't take it lightly, and uh, I'll share in a wee second just, uh, just about how the Lord even prompted me to be here tonight, but uh, I just want to honor your house. I want to honor your pastor, Phil. Phil and I have been friends for 15, 16 years. Uh, we did a California road trip 15 years ago, and uh, for 50 pounds, I can show you the photographs of that <laughs> after the service, because, uh, and then you can take them, and you can probably make a few hundred from them, but uh, no, it, uh, I've known Phil for a long time, and I love the dream that God has put in his heart, and I, to me, this is just such a sign of the kingdom, Amen. you know, that, that we're two miles out the road here, and uh, uh, and, and I'm here tonight, and I know some of you have passed through our place and transition, and, and I love that. I, I don't care where people go. I just want them to go to a church where Jesus is exalted and the word is preached. I don't care where it is, as long as God is lifted high and as long as people are planted in the house. So can I say to you, get planted. You will only grow if you're planted. Don't drift around, don't float around. Get planted in this place. Get planted and, 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 and serve and give and honor the leadership and, 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 and use your gifts. Uh, and God will grow you and God will bless you in that. Um, I really believe that. And so, I'm going to be uh, speaking on Joseph. I know you've been doing a series on that. I hadn't a clue what to speak on tonight, and I went through the podcast this afternoon, and I realized you've been doing a series on Joseph, so I thought I would just slot into that and, and share just a few of my own reflections on that. But let's pray, first of all, as we come to God's Word tonight. Father God, we acknowledge that your word is over us. Lord, your word is uh, God-breathed. Your word is inspired. Your word is our authority. And we sit under your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would take your holy word and apply it to our lives, that we would live holy lives. That, our, that Christ would be exalted and that there would be good soil in our hearts, that the word would take root and grow and flourish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I like most types of, of music except country and western. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? I mean, country and western to me is about as exciting as a two-hour omnibus of EastEnders. Um, it is just so depressing. And to prove my point, I, I looked up some country and western song titles this afternoon. Here's some country and western song titles. These are real songs, by the way. I liked you better before I knew you so well. How can I miss you if you won't go away? <coughs> my wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. <laughs> You're the reason our kids are so ugly. Her teeth were stained, but her heart was pure. Um, God loves you, but I don't, and that's the difference between God and me. The story of Joseph is really one long country and western song. It's full of highs and lows. It's full of joys and sorrows. And every time in the story of Joseph, it feels like things are starting to look up. The backside drops out of it, and it plummets again. He's his daddy's favorite, and he's all these wonderful dreams. That's very good. But his brothers hate his guts. That's very bad. 
His daddy gives him this beautiful coat. That's really good, but his brothers rip it off him, sell him into slavery in a distant land, pretend he's dead. That's really bad. He works for Potiphar, a high-ranking, wealthy Egyptian official. Potiphar likes him, and he gets promoted to a a position of power and authority, and he's handsome, and he's good-looking, kind of like a young cross between Ryan Gosling, Chatting Chatting Tatum, and Craig Cooney. And uh, (coughs) anyway, um, but he's successful, he's good-looking, and that's really good. But then Potiphar's wife takes a fancy to him and that's really bad. She tries to seduce him. Joseph resists the temptation and says, it ain't gonna happen, baby. That's the message version. Um, (laughs) And that's really good that he resists, but hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And she has her me too moment, hashtag, and she blames him for doing something he didn't do. And Joseph ends up thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And that's very bad. And then in prison, Joseph meets Pharaoh's cupbearer and chief baker. And one day, the text says that they look a bit down. And Joseph says, what's up, guys? What's wrong? And they said, we've had dreams last night, and we don't know how to interpret them. And Joseph says, well, I might be able to help you out. Give it a go. And, uh, and, 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 and Joseph interprets it. The cupbearer, first of all, tells Joseph his dream. Uh, and Joseph says, Mr. Cupbearer, in three days, this is what your dream means. Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and he's going to restore you to your old position. That's really good. And the cupbearer says, when that happens, I'll remember you, Joseph. I'll remember you. I'll tell the king all about you. And then the baker comes along and he's all excited. And he says, will you interpret my dream? And Joseph interprets it. And he says, well, in three days, Pharaoh's also going to lift up your head from your body. And he's going to hang your corpse on a pole. And the baker says, that's the last time I tell you one of my dreams. Not so good. And then in three days it all happens, as Joseph said. The cupbearer is released and the baker is killed. But when the cupbearer is released, he forgets about Joseph. He totally forgets about him and Joseph languishes in prison for another two years. And that's very bad. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret it. And the cupbearer remembers, that's right, there's this guy, Joe, I was in prison with him a few years ago, and I had this dream, and I didn't know what it meant, and Joe was able to interpret the dream. Pharaoh, maybe he can interpret your dream too. And they bring Joseph in, and Joseph says, yeah, I can do it. Basically, your dream means this. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of abundance, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so the best thing you can do is to store things up, but you need to find somebody to look after it. And Pharaoh says, well, you're the man. You seem to have wisdom. You seem to have, have understanding that none of my, uh, my, my best people have. And overnight, Joseph goes from prisoner to prime minister, from a nobody to being the second most important person in the land. And look what happens then. Eventually, Joseph's brothers arrive in Egypt because they're looking food. And uh, Joseph immediately recognizes them, but they have no idea who he is because it's been a long time. It's been 13 years. Look at what it says. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, Genesis 42, 8 and 9, they did not recognize him. Then, this is an interesting verse. Then he remembered his dreams about them. 13 years have passed since he last saw them. He looks very different now. Think about how you looked 13 years ago. (laughs) 
I put a photo up today of my wife, a little boy who's uh, turning seven next week, and I put a photo up in church of seven years ago when I was holding him in my arms when he was born, and a lovely lady came up afterwards and said, you haven't half aged. And uh, she's been excommunicated as well. Um, that's just what we do in the Church of Ireland. Um, but uh, but we, 13 years, you look different. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He's 30 now. He can grow a beard and he's got a man bun. And uh, he walks like an Egyptian. But he remembers what God spoke to him. Isn't it funny that he had these profound prophetic dreams 13 years ago? And he's forgotten all about them. And yet now something triggers them. And that can happen in your life. God speaks to you when you're a teenager. God speaks to you at a certain point in your life. And, and, and time moves on and it hasn't happened. And you forget about it or you put it on the shelf or you put it on the back burner. And then something happens. You have a conversation with someone. You're in a meeting and somebody says something. And you go, God spoke to me about that. I remember God saying something to me about that. When I was a teenager, and I'll share a little bit about this in a minute, God gave me a prophetic word when I was 16 that I would stand before national leaders one day and share the gospel with them. Now, to me, being pimple-faced and full of hormones at 16, that seemed like the least like, possible thing in the world to me, and I totally forgot about that. And it just it seemed so unrealistic. I thought, God, maybe you've got some of the other things right, but I don't think you got that one right, God. And, and, and then when I was 32... In Shankill Parish, I was uh, one of the ministers in Shankill Parish in Lurgan, there was a lady in our congregation called Margaret. And everybody assumed Margaret was a Christian. She'd been a church warden, which she'd been in all the committees. She was even a chaplain in a religious organization. Everybody assumed Margaret was a Christian. And one day I preached on the story of the prodigal son. And Margaret called me around the next day, and she was, she'd, she'd been very ill all her life. She, had a, she carried oxygen with her. And she said, and I, I called regularly with her just to pray with her for healing. And as I was about to pray for healing, I felt the Lord prompt me, asked her if there's anything else. And I said, Margaret, is there anything else you want prayer for? And she said, will you pray with me that I'll take the step of faith that you talked about yesterday in church and receive Jesus? And I couldn't believe it because Margaret had been a chaplain. Like Margaret had served in church all her life. She was in her 60s at this stage. And I led Margaret, and she received Christ that day. And her, she was gloriously saved. She was radically transformed. But here's the thing. Margaret's sister just happened to be the mayoress of Craig Avon during her second term. Her sister is uh, Mita Crozier. Some of you will know Mita. And a year later, Margaret sadly died of her illness. But here's the thing. Mita was mayor at the time. And I did Margaret's funeral in Shankill Parish, that big church in the middle of Lurgan. And there was a thousand people there, all the politicians, all the national leaders in the land were there. And I got up and I shared the gospel with them about how Margaret had been religious, but it wasn't enough, and how she received Christ and he transferred. And something clicked as I stood there, and I remembered that day when I was 16 and somebody prophesied, go stand before national leaders and share the gospel with them. And it was 16 years later that it happened. And the same happens with Joseph here. He suddenly remembers the dreams, those two dreams that caused all the problems all those years ago. There's been so much that has happened, but things begin to get stirred up in his heart again. And God wants to stir up some dreams in your heart again. God wants to stir up some dreams that you think are dead, but they're just dormant. God wants to stir up some things that you think that, that are dead, but they've just been delayed. Or, they're, they're, or you've just become distracted, or, 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 or you've just got well in. But God is saying, you know what, that word I spoke over you, that is still relevant. 
My word will not fail. My word will never fall to the ground empty. My word will come to pass, and you will stir it up. Remember what Paul tells Timothy, stir up the gift of God. Stir up the fan and the flame, the gift of God that is within you. And just because there's been diversions, just because there's been detours, and just because there's been delays, doesn't mean God's word has been denied. Look at what happens next. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds just like his dream. And after a bit of to and froing, Joseph reveals himself to them. And there's this hugely emotional scene because they go back and they get their father and they move down to Egypt. And it's this beautiful emotional scene as they're reconciled together. And what I want to do just in the, in the, in the minutes I've got left, and by minutes I mean a few minutes, um, is just share, I just read through the text, and just anything that God kind of brought out just in, in relation to just what he might want to say to some of you tonight. I just jotted down titles, and I just want to share some of them. And the first one is this. <coughs> God calls us when we're not ready. God calls us when we're not ready. Think about it. Joseph had these dreams from God when he was 17, but they didn't come to fulfillment until he was 30. David was anointed king of Israel when he was about 15, but he wasn't appointed until he was 30. God calls us when we're not ready, but it's an invitation to start getting ready. You see, I used to think that I had to have my life all in order for God to call me and God to use me. I used to think that I had to have everything sorted out that I had to be completely, you know, that, that, that I had to get rid of all my temptations, all my struggles, all the stuff that, that I, I, all the sin, and then, then God could use me when I'm really holy. And I've discovered something, that if I'm waiting that long, God will never use me. We lived in Dublin for five years, and I would often get the bus into, into work. And uh, in the mornings when I'd get the bus, I would get on the bus, and very often you'd see girls with their mirror out, and they'd be putting on their lipstick and their eyeliner and stuff. And here's the thing. God spoke to me one day, and he said, I, I felt him say this, they weren't ready when they left the house, but they got ready on the way. And when God calls you, you're not ready, but he gets you ready on the way. He gets you ready in the process, so that when you get to your destination, you're ready. But you're not ready when he calls you. And Joseph wasn't ready. He was immature. He was big-headed. He was arrogant. He wanted to boast about his dreams. David wasn't ready. He was just a young shepherd boy. You see, we think we're ready when we're not ready. We always think we're more ready than we are, and God needs to prepare us, and He needs to refine us, and He needs to work in us, and He needs to, de to develop us, and mature us, and chip off some of the rough edges off us. And we don't like that because we live in a world where everything happens instantly, don't we? It's like right now, like it's like fast food, it's like microwave, it's like everything is right now, high-speed internet. If we, I, I was at Burger King last week getting a, 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 a meal for my son, and it took like 10 minutes, and I honestly, like it was like I wanted to write a letter of complaint because it took so long, because we're used to everything being instant. Do you know what I've discovered? God is never in as big a rush as I am. You'd think you had all the time in the world, wouldn't you? And that's really annoying. Because I want everything right now. But God is much more concerned with your character than your position. He's much more concerned with who you are than what you do. And He will take as long as it takes. You see, God looks into your future 
And when God gives you a dream, when he gives you a prophetic word, whatever that is, he's calling out your potential. He's saying, this is what I have put inside you. This is what you can be. But it's up to you to live right. It's up to you to make right choices. Because one of the things I find in the church today is that we think we can live however we want, and sure, God will do it anyway. God's given us a prophetic word, and sure, I can, I can go and I can sleep around, and I can go out and get hammered every night, and sure, if God has given me a word, it's going to happen. I want to say to you that God is not responsible for you fulfilling your potential. He has put the potential within you, but it is your daily decisions that determine your direction, that determine your destination. I can't drive south and end up in Port Stewart. And some of us live this way and expect God to bring us this way. And the daily decisions we make are so important. And Joseph, we see as we go through his life, he made the right decisions. He made godly decisions. He made decisions of integrity. And therefore, God was able to promote him. That's the first thing. God calls us when we're not ready. Second thing is this. And I know Phil talked about it last week a little bit. Your rejection might be God's new direction. You see, Joseph's greatest rejection came from his brothers. Not only did they reject him, they wanted to, they wanted to kill him. They were jealous of him. We read that. They hated him. They were jealous of him. They plotted to kill him, and they throw him in a pit, and then he gets sold to uh, some Midianite traders who then sell him on to Pharaoh's officials. And sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes the dream God has put in your heart will bring you into collision and conflict with the people around you. Sometimes the calling of God in your life won't be understood by others. Not everybody's going to applaud you. Not everybody's going to cheer you on. Not everybody's going to go, go for it, we're right behind you. Some people will be behind you, but they'll be wanting to stick a knife in your back. And when Joseph had these dreams and this great calling from God and this great destiny that God put before him, it immediately stirred up rejection. It immediately stirred up dissension. It immediately stirred up anger in those around him. And rejection's difficult. No matter what age we are, rejection's difficult. I don't know about you, I like being liked. Like, I could stand in church and 99 people could come up to me and say that was a great message and one person could make a negative comment and all week all I'll think about is that negative comment. And you're not that different to me. It gets to the core of who we are. It, it brings out all our insecurities. It makes us doubt ourselves. It makes us question all that we thought was true. And, the, and the, the greatest rejections come from those who are closest to us. If a stranger in the street walks up to me tonight and rejects me, I don't care less. But if somebody who I love, somebody who I trust, somebody who I think is, is, is for me rejects me, that gets to the core of who I actually am. Joseph was rejected by his brothers, his own flesh and blood. However, what they didn't know was that their rejection became the first step of God's new direction to get Joseph to where God wanted him to be. 
If he hadn't been rejected, if he hadn't been sold as a slave, he would have never ended up saving God's people from starvation when he became prime minister of Egypt. You see, we see the little picture, God sees the big picture. We see the right now, we see the micro and God sees the macro. We see today and God sees the end from the beginning. And God knew that this rejection had to take place for Joseph 13 years from now to be positioned right there when a famine happened to take place. Sometimes God will bring rejection into our lives. Sometimes God will bring pressure into our lives for a purpose. We all get comfortable where we are. Maybe God has put a dream in your heart to do something, to start a business, to to do something in your life. And you think, well, until that happens, I'll, I'll do this job for six months. And four years later, you're still in that job because you've got comfortable in it. And it pays the bills. And that dream in your heart is slowly dying. And what God might do is he might send a new boss into that place. And that new boss might be a real ignoramus. And they may just for some reason not like you. And this pressure, and you can't understand why they don't like you. And maybe the pressure has a purpose. Maybe God is trying to push you out of there to remind you of the dream that he put in your heart all those years ago. You know, what we do is we build houses where we were meant to live in tents. Deuteronomy 1, God shows up to the the Israelites and he says, you've stayed here long enough. And that's a word to some of you here tonight. There's some places that God would say, you've stayed long enough. I never called you to stay here. I called you to camp here, but you have built a three-bedroom semi-detached house here. And it's time to move on. It's time to move on. It's time to transition. And it's time to get used to being uncomfortable for a little while. It's time to transition out of there. So God makes us uncomfortable. He increases the pressure, but there's a purpose behind it. Maybe for some of you, it's since you became a Christian. Some of your friends have rejected you. Some of your family have rejected you. I was the first person in my my house to become a Christian when I was 15. And my family really struggled with it. They were fine when we go into church now and again. They were fine even when we go into youth group. But when I started going to church twice and then going to a Bible study during the week, that was a bit excessive. You know, Craig, chill out. You know, calm down. Like, I, I remember I, I had a friend whose parents actually said, and why can't you just do drugs like everybody else? <laughs> you know, when somebody is obsessed about a sport or something, they're a fan. When somebody is passionate about the Lord and serving in this house, they're a fanatic. Why is that? I'm happy to be a fanatic, folks. I'll be a fanatic for Jesus any day. I don't care. We need to, this is a time when we need fanatics for Jesus. This is a time when you cannot be lukewarm. You're either hot or cold in today's generation. This is an era when you cannot sit on the fence. You're going to get splinters and you're going to fall off onto the wrong side. This is a time when you need to nail your colors to the mast and say, I'm going for Jesus. I'm going all out and I'm going to pursue him and I'm going to be a fanatic and I don't care what people say. And you know what? Now my parents are in church every Sunday and they love it. They love it. They love hearing the Word of God. They're so proud of me. But if I had listened to them when I was 16, I'd have backed off. I want to say to you that God has a plan and a purpose for you, and just because some people aren't cheering you on doesn't mean it's not God. Rejection can happen at all sorts of levels. Like I said, it's when people who are close to you reject you that it hurts the most. When we were in Dublin, my wife and I, were quite private people. 
We don't let a lot of people into our world. It's just the way we are. But in Dublin, we let a young couple into our world, and they became our closest friends. And they actually, one of them became my associate pastor, and we, we just, we did life together, and we thought we would grow old together, and we would work together all week, and they'd come round to our house for an Indian on a Saturday night, and we just, we loved this couple, we just, we just did everything, and we, we just poured our lives, and we shared our hearts with them. And then I went away on holidays for a week, and came back and discovered that, the, that he had been saying some stuff around, about me behind my back, that he had been undermining me behind my back. And can I say, it was honestly one of the most, it was one of the most hurtful things that has ever happened to me in my life. And you begin to question not only that relationship, you begin to question every single relationship. You begin to wonder, who can I trust? And it was hard, and can I, we've never been reconciled. I, I mean, I, I, I forgave him a long time ago, but there's times that things are said that can't be unsaid. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can forgive someone, but you don't have to go back to being friends with them again. That's a fallacy, that forgiving someone means you have to go back to being the way you were. You don't. Forgiving someone is releasing them in your heart. But wisdom sometimes says, I'm not going to let them back in my life. <laughs> and, 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 but you know what that did? For two years up before that, God had been speaking to us about moving on from Dublin. But we had a cushy life. My wife had just gotten a, a senior speech therapy job, the job that she'd been wanting to get for four years. I had just, I, I, when I went there, we had nobody in the church. There was 40, 30, 40 people. We were in debt. By the fourth year, we had, had seven staff with 300 plus people. We were one of the fastest growing churches in Ireland. I had a cushy life, but God had been speaking to us about moving on. But we didn't want to. We had the house of our dreams. It was just, you know, we had this great life. But you see, when that rejection came, it was like God was putting pressure on us. And honestly, but through that and a few other incidents, within a few months, we left Dublin. It took the pressure to push us out of our comfort zone. And can I say to you, this is three years on, I don't regret for one second what happened. Because that rejection was God's redirection. And I look at what God has done over the last three years, and I see His sovereign hand on my life in every moment. Has it been perfect? No. But God took us out of there because He had something else for us. And I want to say to you that rejection is horrible, but maybe your rejection right now is God's redirection. Maybe it's God saying, actually, I'm pointing you somewhere else. Stop depending on them and start focusing on me because I have something else for you. Next thing I want to say is this, and I've only got a couple more. Your current condition is not your permanent position. Some of you need to hear that tonight. Your current condition right now in your life is not your permanent position. If you were just to take 13 years of Joseph's life, I'm sure, I mean, 13 years is a long time, isn't it? Like, think of what you were doing 13 years ago. Like, that's a long time. I'm sure there were times when Joseph just thought, this is the way my life is going to be from now on. Like, I'm a, I've been trafficked. I'm a slave. I'm a prisoner. I've been falsely accused. This is just the way my life is going to be. And yet his current condition was not his permanent position because overnight he went from prisoner to prime minister. But if you just looked at Genesis 37, 
when he's sold off as a slave. Or if you just look at Genesis 39 when he's languishing in, languishing in prison, you would think, well, that's it. He's finished. But can I say to you that that's just one chapter? And the thing we do sometimes is we allow one chapter to define the whole book. Your life is not one chapter, even a really bad chapter. Well, you know what? We've all got bad pages in our book, don't we? Like, if I were to tell you some of the bad pages in my life story, you wouldn't want to listen to me. And if I, you were to tell me some of yours, I wouldn't want to preach to you. Like, we've all got bad pages. We've got bad chapters. But you know what? I've got to the end of the book, and it ends well. That my, my little story is part of his big story, and it ends in glory. And don't judge your whole life by a page. Don't judge your whole life by a chapter. Because your current condition is not your permanent position. That yes, today things might be tough. Today you might be struggling financially. Today your marriage might be hard. Today you might be sick of being single. Today you might be heartbroken. Today you, you, you might be thinking, I, I'm never going to get a job. I want to say to you that your current condition is not your permanent position. God can turn things around like that. You know, in October 2015, I sat in a doctor's surgery in Dublin. To the world outside, I was one of the most successful pastors in the Republic of Ireland, leading one of the biggest churches. And inside, I was empty and exhausted. And I sat in a doctor's surgery at five in the afternoon in inner city Dublin with tears running down my cheeks. And all I could think about was this is not the way ministry was meant to be. God had given me these dreams, these visions of what he was going to do with my life and all of this stuff. And here I was and my life was a mess. On a Sunday, I got up and preached a storm and every week people got saved and it was great. And inside I was dying. And I thought that was it for me. I was diagnosed, actually. He, he said to me, Craig, he said, you don't have depression, but you're depressed. I didn't get that. He said, you're burnt out, and your burnout has led to a depletion of your serotonin, which is your happy hormone, and therefore you're depressed. So he says, I'm going to give you six months of, tab six months of tablets, but I'm not going to give you any more than that. Now, if you need more than that, that's, you know, I, I'm all for medication, believe me. I, it was exactly what I needed. But what he was saying to me was this, you're depressed, but you don't have depression. Don't label yourself by your current condition. And maybe right now, you've put a label on yourself or somebody else has put a label on you. And I want to say to you, that might be your condition right now, but that is not how God sees you, and that is not your permanent position. Remember the woman with the issue of blood we read about? In the Bible, the woman who bled for 12 years, we don't ever know her name. We know nothing about her. All we know was her issue. And yet one touch from the king changed everything. Yeah. How you are tonight is not how it's going to be. Don't allow one page, don't allow one chapter to, to define your future. Because if the, book of Joseph, or if the story of Joseph shows us anything, it shows us that God is taking us somewhere, but along the way, there will be detours, there will be delays, and there will be places we'd rather not be. But God is still in control. 
Our God is in the business of raising the dead, transforming the worst situations, healing the most brokenhearted, restoring that which was lost or stolen, and giving us a future that looks very different to our past or our present. Next thing I want to say is this. Favor follows faithfulness. Favor follows faithfulness. See, here's the thing I love about the story of Joseph. Everywhere you put him, God's favor was upon him. You put him in Potiphar's house, he gets promoted. They stick him in jail, he gets promoted. It says the Lord's hand was upon him, the Lord's favor was upon him, and he prospered and he was put in charge. Everywhere you put this guy, he rose to the top. They kept trying to kick him down, and he kept rising up again. Why? Because the favor of the Lord was upon him. Why was the favor of the Lord upon him? Because he was faithful wherever he was placed. He was faithful no matter where. You see, I'm, I'm good at being faithful in really ideal situations. I'm not good at being faithful when I'm under pressure. I become nasty when I'm under pressure sometimes. Normally when I'm driving, okay? When, when people are being obnoxious, when, 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 when people have been rude to me, when, 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 when things are overwhelming, I find it hard to be faithful. I can be faithful when things are good, but Joseph was faithful in circumstances that weren't great. I mean, he's been accused of rape, falsely accused of rape, and yet he's still faithful. Yeah. I mean, how must that have been when you do the right thing and wrong things happen? Because I'm taught, and we're all taught as kids, you do the right thing and good things happen. What happens when you do the right thing and wrong things happen? Can you still trust God? He does. You know, like I said, I became a Christian when I was around 15 at Summer Madness. I wasn't from a Christian family. It was in the summer between my third year in Kleina and starting the college. And over the next two years, I got about 10 prophetic words. It felt like everywhere I went, I was getting prophetic words that I was going to be in leadership and I was going to preach and all this stuff. And so, you know, 10 years after that, I expected, you know, I was going to be somewhere between Billy Graham and Benny Hinn, you know. I, was, I like the white suit that Benny Hinn wore, so I, I thought I'd be leading these miracle crusades because I had all these great prophetic words. Can I tell you what I was doing 10 years after that? Selling these. I kid you not. Little pump dispensers. Yeah, these are the little things. Oh, there's some in it. That's so profound. This is what I was doing, not door to door. Like I wasn't going around Kilkenny and selling pump dispensers, you know what I mean, or ba <laughs> Ballyhannon. Um, <clears throat> but there was a company in Mollusk outside Belfast that did the wee sprays for your wee sprays, and uh, they wanted to diversify their market, and so they brought me in to sell these. And can I say, from day one, I hated that job. Like, I was going to be the next Billy Hen, you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, I was going to fill stadiums, and here I am, selling pump dispensers that cost between 9 and 10 pH. And it wasn't a nice environment. It was a Japanese company, and we all sat in one office, and the chairman was there who didn't speak a word of English. His name was Mr. Okamura, and he spent all day swearing in Japanese. But here's the funny thing. The interpreter only knew Japanese because he'd been a missionary in Japan. So when he interpreted, it came out as much nicer than it had been said in the first place. Like this guy would rant and swear in Japanese, and, and, and Robert Mullen, the interpreter, would go, Mr. Okamura is not very happy right now. <laughs> I would be like, no kidding. <laughs> He's like sweating and, you know. 
There's like demons flying out of me, he's foaming at the mouth. Um, I hated that job. But you know what? I try to be faithful in it. And God's favor followed me there. In the end of 12 months, I had sold 20 million of these wee things. Made the company almost two million pounds. Had to put another production line in. Did I enjoy the job anymore? No, I hated it. But I tried to be faithful where I was. It was actually quite funny. To f- like, where do you start? Like, like, you don't phone Mr. Boots up, you know what I mean, or Mr. Tesco. So I said to my boss, like, where do I start? His, na- uh, his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan looked down this list of people that he had dealt with in the past. And this is what he said. He said, there's a guy in Chester. His name is Simon Baptist. You're a Christian. Give him a call. <laughs> he became my first customer. And over the next 12 months, I sold 20 million of these things. Here's what I learned that God can bless you in the most unfavorable places if you will remain faithful in the small things. You see, we have our first choice world, which is our dream world. Very often we find ourselves in our second or third choice world for a while. And if you can't be faithful in your second or third choice world, it's very unlikely you'll end up in your first choice world. God will very often test us in circumstances and places that we'd rather not be just to see if he can trust us in the places that we want to be. God wants to promote you. God wants to, to, to bring you to, to better places and, and, and to give you uh, more authority and more responsibility. But the Bible says this, if you can't be faithful in small things, he can't trust you with the big things. Yeah. And a year later, exactly a year later, I got another job and was promoted to actually one of my customers that I sold these little things to. I was promoted to Unilever and was an account manager for the next two years but it was about being faithful in the small things. And I want to say to you right now, you might not be in a job that you like. You may be working in a shop or in a place that you really don't like, but be faithful. Go in tomorrow and be faithful. Show up. Be on time. Have integrity. Don't use profanity. Don't gossip. It's the little things that make such a big difference. And God was able to promote Joseph because he had been through a process in private, because private devotion always precedes public promotion in the kingdom of God. Let me repeat that. Private devotion, where nobody sees you, always precedes public promotion in the kingdom of God. And if you can't be faithful in private, God cannot trust you in public. And the very last point you will be glad to hear, sorry I've gone on longer, but when Phil asks me to speak, he knows what he's getting. (laughs) This is, I have now preached for over two hours today, okay? Um, God knows how to get you there. That's what I wanted to say. God knows how to get you there. Let me read Genesis 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you had sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a, a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God... He made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph recognizes the hand of God. He says, you sold me. He doesn't let them off the hook. But he says, God was actually behind it all. God's hand, God's sovereignty was behind it all. 
Joseph sees the dream fulfilled. It's been 13 long years of rejection and slavery and false imprisonment being forgotten about, but he still sees the dream fulfilled. And his family bowed down to him exactly as he saw it in the dream those years before. But he says, God sent me here to save lives. God sent me here to preserve a remnant. I'm only here. You think you sent me here? I'm only here because God got me here. It took 13 years, but God got me here. It was painful and difficult, but God got me here. It seemed like I'd been forgotten about, but God got me here. It seemed like it was never going to happen, but God got me here. And I want to say to you, God will get you to where you need to be. You don't need to kick open doors. You don't need to force what God hasn't endorsed. You don't need to compete with other people. You don't need to climb over people. God will get you where he needs you to be. All you need to do is be faithful where you are today. God was working in the waiting. God was working in the waiting. And some of you are in that place of waiting tonight. And you're fed up of waiting. And when you're waiting, the temptation is to take things into your own hands and give God a wee bit of a hand. If he's not going to open the door, I'll give it a wee kick. And you end up in a complete mess when you do that. Some of you are single and you're dying to get married. I got married when I was 34, so I know what that's like. I noticed, I, one summer I went to 10 weddings when I was single. And when you're a single guy, they don't really know what to do with you. <laughs> and so you end up at that table of randoms. Like, you know, there's like you, and then there's like three five-year-olds, and then there's Aunt Bertha, who's a widow, who, who's 73, and they're hoping that you just might click with her. Like, I know what that's like. And yet I know that God was preserving me for the one. When I met my wife, we got engaged after four months and two days. Married nine months later. I mean, we got divorced a year after. Nobody joking. That's <laughs> why <laughs> I got into trouble. Um, but honestly, she is, she is she, you know, she was made for me. I'm glad I waited. I'm glad I didn't take matters into my own hands. And some of you are waiting right now. And I want to say to you, if God has given you a word, if God has given you a promise, hold on to that for he is faithful. You know, I have two stories I want to finish with, but actually, I sent a, a picture through to, to Caitlin at the back just before we started. And I want to share a story about a couple in Dublin that we met, a couple called Rob and Betty. It was one of the first, I think it was the first week of a new year, about four years ago. And this couple came into our church, Rob and Bridget. And I preached that Sunday on Hannah and, uh, uh, and her crying out for a child. And this young couple who were in their probably mid to late, mid-30s, just bawled their eyes out the whole way through it. And when it's their first Sunday in church, you're thinking, goodness, that's not a good start. You know what I mean? You're like, and they left afterwards. I didn't get talking to them. I thought, I'll not see them again. Come back the following week. I'm preaching a rip-off of Stephen Furtick's sermon, Don't Stop on Six, you know, about them walking around the walls six times. Don't stop on six. And Rob and Biddy are there crying their eyes out. And I'm like, oh, flip, this is horrendous. Like, two weeks in a row. Like, I'm going to have to talk to these two. And I go up to them afterwards, and they introduce, I get talking to them, and, and they're from a very nominal Catholic background, have no real faith, you know, in, in Christ. And, and I said, look, guys, I have to be honest. I've noticed you've been crying the last two weeks. Um, like, I'm really, is there something I have said 
because I just, I, I hope I haven't upset you, and, and they said this, they said, you know, Craig, we've been trying to have kids for years, and we haven't been able to have any, uh, and we've just, we've been trying to, you know, pray as much as we can, we're not like Christians like you lot, but we've, we've prayed and asked God for kids, and, and we believe that He's going to give us them, but, but it's not happening, and, 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 and we came here last week, and, and you're talking about Hannah not being able to have children, and she has a child, and then this week we come, and and you're saying, don't stop on sex, don't stop on sex. And they said, yeah, that's nothing to do with babies. And they said, you don't know the conversation we had on the way to church. They said, we've had IVF six times. And on the way to church today, we were talking, and we made a decision that we are not going to do it again. Six times, and it hasn't worked. And it costs too much money, and it takes a toll on my body, and, and it's too disappointing, and it's, it's wrecking us. And so on the way to church, we said, we're done at six. And then we get in here, and there's this crazy northerner at the front, and he's shouting, don't stop on six. Don't stop on six. Don't stop on six. Don't stop on six. And they said, that's why we're crying. And I, and I didn't know what to say. But uh, over the next few months, Rob and Betty got saved. They became Christians. They gave their lives to Jesus. They became two of our most faithful servants in the church. They're still there in leadership. But a few years ago, about a year and a half ago, actually, Rob messaged me. And he sent me a photograph. And it was a scan of Betty's womb. And there were two little babies in there. And I want to show you a recent photograph. Pop it up there. Little boy and little girl. And I want to say to you tonight that today you're, the page that you're on may not look good. The chapter you're on may not look good. But it's not over yet. God is still writing your story. And I want to say to you, I've read the end of the book. And your story is part of his big story. And his big story ends in glory. And so trust him, be faithful where you are, and let him get you to where he wants you to be. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads where we are. Perhaps the worship team could come up. Sorry I've gone on a little bit long. But I want to pray for those who are struggling with where they are right now. Maybe you just are in a place where you just are like, God, I cannot take this place. There's some people here who are just going, God, I like even tomorrow I'm going into work and I, I'm dreading it. Some of you are like, God, I'm sick of waiting for that guy that you've promised. I'm trying to trust you for a Christian guy, but it's not happening. And there's this non-Christian guy who, who I like. And some of you are just tired of of the struggle and the battle. And I want to say to you, just be faithful today. Trust him today. He has you in his hand. He has you in his hand. His fingerprints are all over your life. And one day you will look back at tonight and you will go, thank you God that I didn't rush that. Thank you God that I didn't exit that. Thank you God that I chose to trust you because he who called you is faithful. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, 
or maybe you have been a Christian in the past and you've drifted away, I, I want to give you the opportunity just to, to recommit your life or to commit your life for the first time to Jesus. I did it when I was 15, and it is, it's just a, by a million miles the most important decision you'll ever make. And I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you've been up to even this weekend. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all your sin, past, present, and future. And he promises you that if you will accept him in your life and make him Lord, he will come in and he will live within you and he will, his Holy Spirit will fill you and he will give you the power to live the Christian life. And so if you're here tonight and you've never, you've never said yes to Jesus or you want to recommit your life to him and say, I haven't been following you, Craig. I've been sitting on the fence, but no more. I'm going to go all out. I'm going to count to three and I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up real quickly. Putting your hand on the air doesn't save you, folks. Jesus saved you 2,000 years ago. Okay, putting your hand on the air is just you acknowledging I'm responding to what he did. So I'm going to count to three. If you want to commit your life to Jesus or recommit your life, just slip your hand up until I see you and then bring it back down. We're not going to bring you to the front. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray with you. One, two, three. Okay, I see you there. Okay, you can put your hand down, sir. I see you there. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? What are you going to give this five more seconds? Anybody else? Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus died for me. I give my life to him. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. From this day, I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, why don't we celebrate together? Why don't we rejoice together? Let's stand. Let's give the Lord a clap, folks. Let's give the Lord a clap.